Good morning, church. All right, all right. My name is Cormac Parker Jr. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so good to be able to worship with you. Uh, we would love to meet you after service. If you come up and introduce yourselves as we hear how God is moving through your life and how we might be able to pray with you. Uh, before going into the word, I don't know where Ian is, but I just want to take a few seconds to thank God for Ian. Uh, some of you all may not know this, but Ian is actually part of the reason that my family and I are here. Uh, it started off with a text message of connecting us and a longer story for another day, but just want to, there he goes, just thank God for uh, Ian being a bridge and uh, connecting us here in his ministry. So we are in our Acts series this summer. We've called it Witness. Uh, we're looking at the sermons in Acts to kind of ask this question, how can these sermons encourage us as we seek to be witnesses here, uh, light and dark places here in the Bay Area and abroad? And I love that Scott kicked us off there in Acts 2. We saw the Spirit of God fell, and he, the big takeaway there was because of Spirit of God being a great unifier, we have this opportunity to lift our voice as one voice, as one family uh, from all nations and all tribes coming together. And then we went with Paul Taylor in Acts uh, 3, I believe it was, there, and we looked at Jesus the healer and what are those things that our community uh, and we need healing from and how can we partner with God in that? Last Sunday, we looked at the story of Stephen. Uh, Stephen, right before he was stoned to death, he gave a sermon, and from that sermon, uh, Scott encouraged us to do two things, pray for love and pray for boldness. And now this week, we're in Acts 10. We're going to follow Peter as he makes this very interesting journey to this house to deliver a sermon to a family uh, that he would not normally be associated with. If we could look together at Acts 10, 33. You should see it there on the screen. Acts 10, 33, and it reads, this is, uh, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God, we are gathered here to hear from you, to go into your word, and we ask that you would just speak to us through your word. You would encourage our hearts, lead us in the way that you would have us be, that we would be light in dark places, that we would be witnesses here in the Bay Area, and abroad. We ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. The year was 2016. I was down in Southern California. I had a job. I was the assistant uh, to our senior pastor down there. It was a very formative year because up until that point in my life, I had never had an extended amount of time off of a stage. My whole life has been creative arts and performing arts and some sort of singing, speaking, or what have you. And, but God, uh, in an interesting in his sovereignty, would have me work this job that was kind of a behind-the-scenes job. He was forming some things in my heart. It's a longer story for another day. Uh, but one of the things I loved about this job is that 
you never knew what each week was going to bring. Um, I, I had the chance to travel with my boss. We would hop in the car and go to these different functions and workshops and ministry opportunities. Um, sometimes we would hop on a plane and, and go to these uh, ministry moments. And I'll never forget, it was like yesterday, we were in the office and my boss comes up to me, Albert comes up to me and says, uh, hey, Cormac, have you, have you booked those tickets for Angola? And I, I said, uh, not yet. I'm, I'm going I'm to get to it. I'll try to get to it today, uh, but I haven't booked them yet. I walked away and I'm going to be honest, I didn't know what he was talking about. I had not saw, seen the email. I, I didn't know. But, you know, in the moment, you don't say that. It's like, yeah, I'll get to it. Absolutely. Let me run to my email and figure out what he's talking about. I go to my email, go to my computer, and I pull up the request. And I see he's talking about Angola prison. I'm like, why, why would we be going to Angola? Like, so I'm doing some deep research there, and I'm looking at the request, and it's asking us to come, and there's this ministry, you know, kind of revival that's going to happen. And, and I did some more research, and I'm like, oh, Angola Maximum Security Prison. The largest of its kind in the United States. They, they call it the Alcatraz of the South. It's 18,000 acres, 6,300 inmates, 1,800 employees. Check this out. The name Angola, it actually, that land where the prison is, used to be slave quarters. Isaac Franklin named it after uh, Angola there in Africa, where majority of the slaves would be housed on this land. Why do we want to go here again? I'm going to be honest. Um, I, I was struggling. I, 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 normally, the ministry opportunities are like, we're going to a marriage conference, or we're going to a worship night. We're going to maximum security prison, and I didn't want to go. Can, can I lean in? We're, we're family, just between the two of us. Don't tell too many people. I struggled with going. I'll be honest. Maybe it was because my dad had spent some time in a place like that. Maybe because I'd heard things that happen in places like that, but as I sat with it a little longer, I think it was really because I was struggling with ministering to those people. I'd always thought that God calls us to just complete assignments. But what happened at Angola taught me that actually sometimes, oftentimes, God uses assignments to complete us, to work on our hearts. I think this is where we find Peter. Peter is invited to a, if you would, ministry opportunity. To minister to a group of people that Peter would not have normally been around. He struggled with, with going to minister to those people. And God would would show him, just like I think he showed me in the Angola story, that the Cormac, I, I've made room at my table for everyone. I've made room at my table for those people. And I want you to go and share the good news to those people. There's room at the table. That's what I've tagged our time today as we look at the story 
of Peter. Now, we must ask ourselves this question, why does this matter? Listen, Cormac, I hear you. I'm glad you had a good time and God worked in your heart, and I'm glad we're going to get to journey through Peter's story and, and whatnot, but why does this matter to us? Why are we looking at Acts 10? Is it just because it came in the sermon schedule, or is there something that God wants to speak to us this morning? I think as we seek to be witnesses here in the Bay Area and abroad, I think God wants to meet us this morning through his word. This idea that he has made room at his table for everyone. He's made room at his table for those people, whoever they may be in your life. And he invites us to, we're going to look at it later, to surrender and to lay down those things that might hinder us, that might um, be a stumbling block for us to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. Now, we see here in our cover verse, Peter is, uh, he's about to tell the sermon, he's about to share this story, but there's so much that happens before then, we have to kind of go back to be able to fully appreciate what's happening. And so we go back to the top of Acts 10, and Acts 10 starts off letting us know that there's a man by the name of Cornelius. He lives in a place called Caesarea, there on the bank of the Mediterranean Sea. Let's us know that he is in the military. In our day, he would have been like a non-commissioning officer. He's there, and the Bible says three things about Cornelius. He is uh, a devout man. He, he's a man who prays to God often. Uh, and he's a man who gives generously. He gives alms. He gives uh, to the poor. Parenthetically, I just want to say this here. It's interesting that although he was a good man, he had not come to saving faith in Christ. He had not yet heard the gospel. This should be just a quick reminder along the way of this story that although he was a good man, he still needed the gospel because it is not our goodness that gets us in grace with God, but it's his grace that we are able to experience his goodness. We all need the gospel. Amen, somebody. And so Cornelius... Cornelius is there. He's a good man. He's a praying man. He gives generously. He's praying one day, and an angel comes to him, and at the top of Acts 10 will let us know that the angel says, listen, your arms have, have reached, uh, reached God, reached up to heaven there, and we want you to send for Peter. Peter is down in Joppa. Go send for Peter. So Cornelius says, yes, I'll do it. I'll be obedient. All right, I'll send for Peter. He gathers a group of men to go down to Joppa. It's about 30 miles away from Caesarea, south of Caesarea. And, uh, and while they're en route to go get Peter, to bring him to this house for whatever God would want to speak, Peter also has a moment. As they're traveling, he goes in a time of prayer. Now, quite interesting, uh, the, the text lets us know that, that Peter goes into a time of prayer and he's, he's hungry. And I was like, oh, I can relate to Peter. Uh, I, have you ever been there? You said, listen, I'm going to pray today. I, I've carved it out in my time. I put it on my calendar and you go to pray. And all you can think about is a double-double animal style. Or all you can think about is what coffee you want to get. And, and so I, I was relating to Peter. I said, I, I get it. You're hungry. And so it's interesting that God uses his hunger to minister to him. That's a really cool fact along the text uh, is that God can use anything to speak to us as long as we're willing to listen. 
And so Peter, he's there, he goes in, he's hungry, and, and he kind of goes into the, what the Bible, one of the translations says, he kind of goes into this trance here while he's praying, and he sees a sheep fall down, and there's animals of all kinds, all kind of reptiles and different animals that he's not really familiar with being around and eating. And, and let's, let's see what the conversation is between Peter uh, there in Acts 10, 13th verse. It says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response in verse 14, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, I I was stopping right there because I I was with Peter around the getting hungry and praying. I could relate. But never in my life ever has food been presented. And my answer would be, no, my Lord, I've, I've never experienced that. I'm trying to figure out what's happening here, Peter, but I go on and the text helps me understand what's happening. So in the 15th verse, uh, God says, and the voice came to him again in second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. God was getting at something quite bigger than food here. This was more uh, than uh, Peter, go eat a rib sandwich or BLT sandwich. No, this was getting at God's original plan for all nations, all people, men, women, Jews, Gentiles, to be able to receive and hear the good news of faith. This has been a part of God's plan from the very beginning. You ask for scripture, let's go to Genesis 12. We'll see that there. When he first calls Abraham, he says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus picks it up in John 10 and we see in the conversation there and he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This has always been the heart of God from the very beginning. That Listen, Peter, I've made room at my table for everyone. I've, I've made room at my table for those that you would call other people, those people. I've made room for them, and I need you to make room as well. And so we, we see this conversation with Peter and he makes this journey. And, and I think the first thing that kind of pops out there in the text, I think the text is tailored to teach us this first point, uh, that as we look at the story of Peter, that God was at work. God is at work. So after Cornelius uh, has this encounter, again, I told you, he sent this group of men to go get Peter down at Joppa. They come back 30 miles to Caesarea. And when they're meeting with men, uh, we see in the 21st verse, and it says, And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed, underline, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. This was not Cornelius' idea. This was not Peter's idea. God was in this 
working and orchestrating it out on both sides. He was preparing both Cornelius and uh, Peter for this moment. What I like to call God was orchestrating this holy house party that would cause a ripple effect in the church to come, that good news would be shared to not just Jews, but Gentiles alike. And God was moving and orchestrating and, and the good news and encouragement for us here today at PBC is that God is still moving and that God is at work right here in the Bay Area. We don't serve a God who is on the history channel. God is moving right here and right now. God is orchestrating moments for us to share the good news. And I love that. That's an encouragement to me because sometimes when I hear the word evangelism and be a witness, it, 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 it can kind of feel daunting and a heavy weight to lift. But I look at the text here and I see, no, this was not Peter or Cornelius setting this up. This was God. And may that be encouragement to us as we are trying to be witnesses here and salt uh, to this earth in this area is that God is the one doing the heavy lifting. God is the one orchestrating these moments. And, and so what do we do with that? If, if God is at work and he is, I can hear the psalmist say, even when I can't see it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. If that is all true, Cormac, what do I do with that? Watch for him. Watch for him. Look for ways in your life, on your everyday life, as you uh, go to the gym, or at least I should be going to the gym, as you go to work, or wherever it is you go, your runs, your hikes, your bike, like look for ways in which God is at work, where God is orchestrating these divine moments for us to share the good news of Jesus. It is not a coincidence that your coworker asked you for prayer after work that day. It is not a coincidence that you landed at that coffee shop, sat next to that person, and as they begin to share their story, I'm seeking to figure out a higher power thing, and you start sharing your story and how Jesus came in your life. That's not a coincidence. That's God at work orchestrating for his purposes, that for our good and for his glory, for his kingdom to come, God is at work. That's, that's our first observation in the text that God was working on both sides. It's not up to us. It's not us, up to us to do the heavy lifting. God is at work. And so then we see the journey. So they make it from Joppa. They come back 30 miles up to Caesarea. And so they finally uh, arrive to uh, Cornelius' house. And the text says something quite interesting. It says, uh, Peter gets there and the house is full. There's a lot of people there. Now, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and confess as well. You know, there are times my wife gets on me all the time when I'm going to different events. I'm always asking, so how many people are going to be there? Is it like five people or 100 people? Because then you have to like adjust your energy level. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I would want to know, like, I mean, we, we, we went 30 miles from Joppa to Caesarea. Like, you could have told me there's a lot of people at the house, but maybe that's just me. And so he gets there. He gets in the house. The house is full. And let's see what happens in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality. Interesting. I, 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 we, we see the second observation we're going to unpack here is this idea of surrendering uh, our judgment, surrendering our judgment. For Peter to say these words, 
that God shows no partiality. For Peter to not only say these words, but say these words in a Gentile's house with other Gentiles in the room, for this to happen, uh, this was a weighty moment. Uh, the, the connection and the relationship between Jews and Gentiles was very tense. And, and I think to paint this picture, let's look at the words of the theologian William Barclay. William Barclay would have us know that it was common for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer, thanking God that he was not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Yeah, let that sit in for a second. Wow. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstances, such as giving directions if they were asked. But he went as far as refusing to help a Gentile woman at the time of her greatest need when she was giving birth, because the result would only be to bring another Gentile into the world. This thing ran deep for Peter. For anyone like Peter, this, this was deep. This, this, this goes way, way back for Peter, and I, as I was looking at the story, you know, a lot of scholars uh, would, would say that this was a time where the Gentiles were converted. But I, I, I don't know, I looked a little deeper there, and I, I know he made the journey 30 miles from Joppa to Caesarea, but the journey that he had to take in his heart was actually a greater distance. I, I know some would tag this, Gentiles come to faith. Gentiles are converted. Cornelius is converted. But I would take it a step further and say Peter's heart was changed. That Peter himself was converted. That Peter had to come face to face with the truth and the reality of what I like to call a mentor of mine, Dr. Loritz says, is a cross-shaped gospel. What are you talking about? Well, the implication of the gospel is that it's both vertical and horizontal. It's both vertical and horizontal. God does not just vertically save us to just have our quiet times. No, he wants us also to be reconciled to one another. We see that in the top part of the Ten Commandments. The first half of the Ten Commandments is our relationship with God, vertical. Second part of the Ten Commandments is our relationship with others. That's horizontal. They ask Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment? He says it's something like this, two things. One, love God with everything you got. That's vertical. And love others as yourself. That's horizontal. God met him through the implications of the gospel that it is a cross-shaped gospel, both to God, reconciliation there, and also to other people. That is what is reminded as, as Peter is facing this idea that God has made room at the table for everyone. But in order for him to get to this place, he had to surrender his judgment. He had to lay it down. When we went into Angola, uh, you know, if you decided to come with book bags and uh, cell phones and whatnot, that's fine. But when you got to the front part of that, before you entered that 18,000 acres, you had to surrender your stuff. You had to lay it there and, and, and you know, hope you can get it back when you came back. But you had to surrender. And, and, and I believe as believers here in the Bay Area that, yes, number one, God is at work. He's orchestrating moments, divine moments for us to share the good news of Christ. But point number two, 
God invites us in his orchestrating to surrender our judgments. For Peter, it was the Gentile community. For us, it may be those in other socioeconomic statuses. It may be different cultures. It may be different political persuasions. It may be different lifestyles that are alternative to the lifestyle that we live or believe in. Whatever group it may be, what would it look like for us to surrender our judgments of others, our preconceived notions of others that God would be glorified here in the Bay and abroad? He had to surrender his judgment. And he goes on, he goes on preaching uh, the rest of the verses, preaching the, the, the gospel uh, to that household, to that community. And what I love that happens there in the 36th verse, he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. 44 says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. He's preaching a sermon there in Cornelius' house. Uh, while he's preaching, Spirit falls. This is a confirmation for those that have come because remember the Spirit had fallen there in Acts 2, but they're reminded, wow, these, these are people different of us and God's spirit is fallen, like God must be in this. This is a confirmation to us and they, they baptize them and stay a few days after that. And for them, it was a confirmation. But for us here, as we look at this idea that it's God's spirit, it's his power that we move in as we are witnesses here in the Bay Area. God is orchestrating, God is at work. We're offered and invited to surrender our judgments and also to move in his power. Not our techniques, not our nice ways of saying it, but move in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's job to change hearts. After all, we can't even change ourselves. It's God's spirit, moving by God's spirit as we follow him. I love it. In God's economy, we, we provide the yes, the amen, the obedience, and he provides the power. Scott told us last week, we, we worry about just being faithful, and he'll worry about the fruitfulness. It is through his spirit. And so what would that look like to think through our lives of those places that we go? Who are those people in our lives? What are those areas that, that, that may be holding us back from sharing and doing life with. Diverse churches come from diverse dinner tables, and diverse dinner tables come from doing life with people who are different than yourself. Church of Jesus Christ is for all nations, all tribes, all people, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, everything in between. God has made room at his table. And what an opportunity we have as we round for home, Ian. What an opportunity we have here in Silicon Valley, I'm reminded of this article from uh, TechCrunch. Paul shared it with us uh, in a few staff meetings ago. It says, Silicon Valley is the new Rome of our time, meaning a place in the world that ends up deciding how a lot of the rest of the world lives. No matter where you lived on the planet Earth, when the Roman Empire started to rise, it had plans for you one way or another. 
through your legal system, your language, your culture, or something else. The, Ro- the Roman Empire was coming for you. Silicon Valley is that for our time. It's the new Rome. And that you can't live on planet Earth and be unaffected directly or indirectly by the decisions made in this relatively small patch of the world. What an opportunity we have to open up our hearts, our dinner tables, our sharing with others from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. I remember being in Angola the last day of our time there. Again, I was struggling going in there. I was struggling being there, but we had a worship service and I just remember, I was sitting on the, on the side row. I just remember songs. We were singing songs and declaring what is true about God. And I felt God move in a way that, honestly, I had never experienced before. And it was interesting that it was in that place that I would experience God. And we would keep up and follow up with those, some that were able to leave. And, and of course, those that, that stayed, some had life sentences. And we would hear stories of when they got out, of how God moved in their life and what God was doing in and out of the prison cells there. And God just again reminded me, Cormac, see, I've made room for even those people. What would it look like for you to make room at your table? want us to shift as we end our time just as a way of praying to God as a family to say what might it look like for us to have open hands for what God will want to do in our life as we are witnesses. So I want to invite you to close your eyes with me and let's just go to God in prayer. What would it look like to be watchful of the ways in which God is working. That our eyes would be open and we would be sensitive to the move of God's spirit. And what would it look like for us to lay down and surrender our judgments? Of those places and people, groups that we may not understand. We may not always agree, but what would it look like to show up in love? by the moving of God's spirit. I'll give you a moment to think about those things. God, you've planted each and every one of us here for a reason. You've placed us in our different communities on purpose. God, we know that you are active in moving and orchestrating things behind the scenes, setting up moments for us to share the gospel. God, we pray that we would have eyes to see and a heart to lean into obedience for your will. Mm. 
God, we come as your children this morning to say, search our hearts. Show us those ways through your spirit that we can surrender preconceived notions. We can surrender judgments of others and show up in love as we tell the greatest story that's ever been told. The story of you coming, dying for our sins. You rose with all power. And you have made room at your table. Thank you, Jesus. We surrender. We said, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I Sing that again, church. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender all. 